Good morning, church. It's great to be together as a family of God this morning, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Today we're talking about how wonderful God's Word is, and so we're going to have some different portions of Scripture read during the worship portion of our service, and our prayer is that we will let that Scripture wash over us and transform us from the inside out. This morning we start with a, a, many excerpts of Isaiah 40. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what should I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. See, the sovereign Lord, he comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and holds them close to his heart. He gently leads those with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of a hand, or the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, or the hills in a balance? Or who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? To whom shall you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each one of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. continue to pray from Psalm 119, 89 through 96. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues to all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. 
for all things serve you. Lord, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked, they're waiting. They're waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. Lord, to all perfection, I see a limit. But your commands are boundless. as a lifelong Baptist, I've come to realize that the best liturgy is liturgy rooted in Scripture. Don't you think? 
And so these amazing words, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, come to us through tradition, through many, many Christian traditions. But we realize that they're rooted in Scripture. And this week, when you have a moment, stop and take a look at all the times that someone said to Jesus or the psalmist or in some context said, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And that phrase means a lot of things, but one of them is that God has the power to change things. God has the power to change things. Let's say that together. God has the power to change things. So this morning, we will say a prayer of confession, believing that God has a power to change things. God has, a power, God has the power to change us, don't you think? So we pray earnestly, and in the prayer on the screen, you can join me and respond in bold, okay? The bold type? Let's pray. Holy God, Lord most gracious, Rebuke us not in your anger, nor chasten us in your wrath. We feel unworthy, for we have failed you again and again. We feel like running away, yet you keep calling us. Have mercy on us, O God. Holy God, Father most gracious, heal us from our sin, for we are troubled. We are troubled by how they hurt others. We are troubled by how they have hurt us. Your ways are right, O righteous God. And whenever we have refused to follow them, we have been reminded just how right they are. Have mercy on us, O God. Holy God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us for the sake of your Son, who died to free us, from our sins. To you be honor and glory. Amen.
Continue to pray with me from Psalm 119. Please bow your heart. Oh, how I love your law, Lord. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws because you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Lord, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to my very end. That the light of Christ 
Life Church family. Uh, as we continue in worship this morning, I want to offer uh, a couple of updates and then extend two invitations uh, to you related to an incredible global and local missions partner of Wheaton Bible Church. So uh, we as a church family have had the privilege of partnering with World Relief, both locally and around the world, for 27 years now. And World Relief is absolutely incredible in all that they do. Um, and World Relief responds to natural disaster zones, like what we've seen in Haiti a few weeks ago with the earthquake, like what we've seen last week in the southern U.S., in areas of crisis and conflict, like what we are seeing and praying over in Afghanistan. And so First Church, I want to thank you for your generosity because uh, when, when we give and when we give generously, these partner organizations get to serve through the local church. And I want to specifically highlight this morning um, the opportunity to serve through our church family as God is moving among the nations and as new neighbors come to our neighborhoods. We know that in the coming year that there will be vetted refugees arriving from around the world in the Chicagoland area. And so church, first, I want to thank you for your faithful generosity because when we give, we're able to partner and extend that generosity to everybody coming to our neighborhoods. And I want to paint this picture, this beauty for you. So every Sunday here at Wheaton Bible Church, the Bible, the scriptures are opened and studied in six languages. The start of many of these groups, and actually core leaders who are shepherds, first arrived to Wheaton Bible Church as refugees from places like um, African countries that are French-speaking, Arabic and Farsi-speaking countries, from Cambodia, and from so many more. And so as we celebrate every baptism, every family dedication, worship together, we actually see that slice of heaven, right? We see God's promise of, I will be glorified among the nations, amen? So this morning, my two invitations for you. First, church, please continue to give as the Lord leads you. Financially, you can give. There's a couple ways to do that. Online at wheatonbible.org give. Also um, at the boxes that are located at the doors as you exit worship this morning. But I also want to invite you and our team at the Puente del Pueblo table out in the atrium today will be ready to take down your contact information if you have any interest in serving along our church family and world relief as new refugees arrive from around the world. Now, the needs are endless, okay? From one time, like transportation, um, furnishing apartments, think about the furniture. We need furniture donations for new apartments. To long-term, to be a good neighbor family, maybe even a life group that adopts a new refugee family who may be arriving from around the world. So if you have any interest, please, Leave your name at, Puente, at the Puente table today, and we'll be in touch in the coming weeks as it becomes more clear on uh, the ways to serve. If you're worshiping with us online, the best way for you to take your next step is going to be to email info at wheatonbible.org, okay? Info at wheatonbible.org. So church, as we approach prayer, I want us to reflect again 
and know that God is glorified when his people, when his church, take those steps of faith, of generosity, to offer hospitality, connection, friendship, care. Those are proper and right for his people, amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we lift up to you, um, Father, this world, this world that you love, but Lord, as we're inundated with news and scenes of conflict and crisis and, 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 and natural disaster, Lord, we pray for your care among the most vulnerable, Father. Lord, we pray that your presence would be known. We pray that uh, the tens of thousands of churches in so many countries around the world would be places, would be those hubs of care and support and those signs of your love for everyone. So Lord, through that care, may people not just receive tangible needs and immediate needs. May they be invited, may they see you. May they be invited into new and transforming relationship with you. Lord, in the United States, we pray for our government leaders. Lord, we lift up every leader from the federal and state and local level. Father, we just pray for, for godly counsel, for wisdom, again, for your presence as so many decisions are to be made. We pray, Lord, that your presence would be known in every office of every leader. And Father, locally, we pray for our church family here knowing, Lord, that um, people are hurting. It has been a rough year, year and a half, couple of years. And so, Lord, for all in grief, would they find comfort. Comfort first in you, but, Lord, also comfort among your people, among your church. So, Lord, in our church family, would you give us the strength to take every step of faith, Father, to care, to serve radically and give generously, Lord. And Lord, that it would not be about uh, the name Wheaton Bible Church, Father, that it would be about your name among the nations. Keep us with that mindset of being sent, Father, whoever, uh, geographically and in our neighborhoods, Father, offer us strength and opportunity for your light to shine through us as your people. It's in your most holy name that we pray these things today. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Kyle, and thank you for your leadership in these areas. Well, good morning, everyone. want to welcome you, whether you're online or you're with us today to this Labor Day weekend Sunday. Um, before I begin, I want to share with you some family news, actually Wheaton Bible Church family news, actually about a tragedy. Last weekend, we had a man in our church commit suicide. Now, suicide is not an unforgivable sin. It's a sin but it is not an unforgivable sin. But the consequences are devastating for the family members that survive a suicide. 
And so I want you to know in this particular situation, we have some wonderful and capable people uh, in our church that have come alongside this family, that have known this family, that are walking with them through this uh, dark period. And part of the reason I mention this is that you might be praying uh, for this particular family. But having said that, I also want to say to you, if you are here today or you're watching online and you are overwhelmed with grief, loss, please, please get help. We have several groups here at Wheaton Bible Church that are designed to do just that, where people will come alongside you and walk with you through whatever it is that you are going through, and we want to point you to Jesus and the help that can be found within the body of Christ as the Spirit opens our eyes to the wonder and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I happen to believe that if we're honest, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to feel like we're drowning in the raging waters of hopelessness or unhappiness, of um, disappointment and uh, defeat, of isolation and loneliness. And we've all been there, and, and for some of it's it's more severe than others. Sometimes it's more severe uh, than other times. As a matter of fact, as you probably have read, research is now uh, telling us that this is almost an uh, epidemic among our teenagers, among young adults, actually reaching all the way down now into uh, the lives of our elementary age students. But no one is immune. It's a consequence of the fall. And no matter how sophisticated our technology, how uh, great our affluence, left to itself and apart from God, the human heart has an enormous capacity to self-destruct. Yet God, as we just heard from the book of Isaiah, is the creator of the ends of the earth. His understanding no one can fathom. And to our surprise and to our delight, and we never saw this coming, God himself overflows in compassion, kindness, mercy, uh, forgiveness, gentleness, and patience. And to that end, he has given us the Bible. And do you know what the Bible is? The Bible is God's divinely anointed lifeline. The rope he throws to us so that we can stay connected to him while our rescue is in progress. You see, if the Bible is anything, it is fundamentally a book of hope. A, a, a book that reverses our, our feelings of sinking, uh, uh, the supernatural book that generates in us new life. 
Its mercies are new every morning. Uh, producing shalom, producing uh, a joy, producing a confidence and, and assurance that we cannot uh, find on our own. And so today, today I wish for you a love for the Bible. Now this is week number three in my four-week concluding series as I wrap up my ministry here at Wheaton Bible Church after uh, these number of years. Four weeks ago, I said I wish for you confidence in the character of God. Last Sunday, I wish for you joy in the mercy of God. And today, I wish for you a love for the Bible characterized by a respect for the Bible and a hunger for the Bible. A respect for the divine authority of the Bible and a hunger to feast on the rich, rich, supernatural food of the Bible. So this morning, I want to take those two characteristics and let's start with respect. And I'm going to spend the bulk of my time here, but I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, a foundational passage for us on the role of the Word of God. Now, the Apostle Paul, the seasoned Apostle Paul, is speaking to his young protege, Timothy, hence the title of these two letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Now what Paul is talking about in this section we're going to look at is that he wants Timothy to know or he wants Timothy to learn about the role of the Bible in the church and in life. So we're going to pick it up in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Now, out of respect for the authority of the Bible, will you stand with me? Paul is speaking to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. No, not just scriptures, but holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. Now Paul is ramping it up. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's God's word, and you may be seated and oh man, do we need this today. 
Paul is telling Timothy that the most important thing about the church is the preaching and teaching of God's word. Because it's the Bible that determines everything else in the church. And when the church gets the Bible right, it has the potential to get a whole lot of other things right. But when the church gets the Bible wrong, it's just spinning its wheels. And everything else will fail. Yet today, people say, oh, preaching and teaching is kind of old school. It's no longer necessary. What we need are sermons that are short, sermons that are light, sermons that are full of stories. And they completely ignore the word careful in chapter 4 and verse 2. So people say today, you know what we need is liturgy. What we need today is, is music. What we need today are small group discussions. There is just too much talking from the pulpit. Now, of course, we need liturgy. Of course, we need music. Of course, uh, uh, we need s small groups. But that's not what's central here. That's not Paul's point. So what does he say? Well, look carefully. Chapter 4, verse 1, at the end of the verse, I give you this charge. Preach the word. And be prepared. And then he concludes with great patience and careful, careful, careful instruction. Now, why does Paul say this is the center of the center of the local church? Why does he elevate this with young Timothy? Well, because of what he said back in chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. Note all. Now, this is obviously a reference to the Old Testament here in this text, but based on other verses in the New Testament that call the New Testament scripture, we can say all scripture refers to both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And Paul says not a part of scripture, but all scripture. Every single name and every single genealogy. Every single historical fact throughout the entirety of the Bible. All the poetry, all the prophecy, all is breathed out by God. God breathed means divinely inspired. It's why we conclude that in the original manuscripts, the Bible was without error. And over the years and the, uh, manus the development of different manuscripts, because of so many manuscripts we have, uh, the incidence of differences often come down to uh, letters, maybe a word here or there. In other words, what we can say is that the Bible is God's inerrant voice. God breathed. God breathed. Therefore, and now here we come to the church. What is the church? The church is a community formed by the word of God governed by the word of God, regulated uh, by the word of God. And it's the word of God that makes the church unique. It's not our parking lots. It's not a building. It's not clean restrooms. 
it's not ethnicity, it's not a particular language, or as Kyle said, different languages. It's not a personality, it's not music. We are formed by the word of God. We are governed and regulated by the word of God. And I want you to know, by the way, that every single one of our musicians here at Wheaton Bible Church believe this deeply. So Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, I charge you, preach the word and do it with care. Because he has just said in chapter 3 that the Bible is God's inerrant voice. Therefore, healthy biblical churches prioritize the careful instruction, the careful teaching of God's word. And because you are the church, not a building, because you are the church, I wish for you a profound respect for the authority, the divine authority of God's word. Now, I would never refer to myself as a great preacher. Often I go home on a Sunday after I've preached and think to myself, I'm not even good. But I will tell you, for 27 years, week in and week out, the bulk of my week, the reason I have said no to so many other things that I could do is because I want to give myself, as Paul instructs Timothy, to the careful preparation of God's Word. So 27 years ago, when I came, it was the Sunday morning services. It was the Sunday night services. About two years later, I started our men's huddle on Thursday morning, teaching, teaching, teaching. And that was the lion's share of my work, week of preparation. And you know, now as I'm winding up my ministry, I look back, and I wouldn't change a minute of that. The church is a community formed by God's word. Now, let me take this a, a step deeper and ask um, this question, uh, why uh, does the authority of God's word matter uh, so much for us? Or another way to, to ask this question is, how does the word of God form us? Now, I'm not going to get into apologetics or defending the inerrancy of God's word. Rather, I want to talk functionally about what Paul tells us here in, in chapter 3 about how the word forms you. And the first thing I want you to see is it saves us. Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 15, uh, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. Now, I want to go back to the Old Testament. It's gonna, I'm going to take a couple minutes here, and I want to illustrate this to you from a marvelous Old Testament passage. So turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ezekiel, and let's go to the famous chapter, chapter 37, where Ezekiel has this remarkable vision of a valley full of dry bones coming to life. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. Now fasten your seatbelt. This is so amazing. Ezekiel is speaking and says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. 
and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. How do you like walking through a valley like that? He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Some say not a great answer, because he should have said, of course. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones. Now notice what comes next. Hear the word of the Lord. Note that. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now look at what happens next, verse 7. So I prophesy, prophesy is another way of saying I taught, I preached. So Ezekiel says in verse 7, so I preach as I was commanded. And, and we got this mix of prophecy foretelling the future and preaching, uh, revealing the word of God. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. What? And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked. And the tendons in the flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Can you imagine being there? Uh, can you imagine seeing this? Well, let me raise uh, two questions about what we just read. How did this happen? How did these bones come to life? And the answer is God gave them breath. Breath, the word that is used repeatedly in this section I just read, is the same word translated spirit as in Holy Spirit, capital S in verse 1. So uh, how did these bones come to life? God gave them the spirit. God gave them life. God gave them uh, supernatural breath. But the second question behind that first question is how did God do that? And the answer is by the preaching and prophesying of God's word. It's God's word that made this army live. And what we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 is exactly an illustration of what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. It is the word of God that saves. I came to Christ in college reading through the gospel of Mark in the evenings in my dorm room. The word of God revealed in the gospel of Mark totally changed my life. We don't make up our own way to get to heaven. God has given us a way this side of the cross through Jesus Christ who died in our place for our sins. So the moment we believe, we find forgiveness and eternal life. Every single one of you that are believers in Jesus Christ have become believers by the word of God. 
And this is Paul's point to Timothy here. This amazing point. It's a point of Ezekiel 37. It's a point of 2 Timothy chapter 3. David Platt, uh, uh, a pastor, tells a, a wonderful story here. He talks about a missionary who was sharing the gospel with a man overseas. And the missionary had his Bible open and he was reading verses uh, uh, to this man as he was uh, sharing the gospel. And finally the man said, well, that's all very interesting. But you know the pages of your book are, are just beautiful and they would be excellent for rolling cigarettes. <laughs> now the missionary was equal to this. And he said, well, here's the deal. I'll give you my Bible and you can roll cigarettes, but you got to promise me before you tear out a page, you got to read what's on the front and the back of that page. And I want you to start in the New Testament with the Gospel of Matthew. So some time goes by. <laughs> And they meet up, and you know what the guy says to the missionary? He says, hey man, I got to tell you, I smoked my way through Matthew. <laughs> I smoked my way through Mark. I smoked my way through Luke, and I got to John 3.16, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus is your Savior, man, read and reread John 3.16 in the Gospel of John. And David Platt tells us that this guy goes on uh, to become a pastor. Now, this isn't the normal way we come to Christ, right? I see one of you back there tearing out a page in your Bible. <laughs> But it illustrates the point, doesn't it? It's the word of God that saves. And that illustrates how the word forms us. It illustrates why the authority of the God, authority of the word of God is so important to us. Here's the second reason. Paul tells us in the next verse, in verse 16, that the Bible teaches us. It's useful for teaching. First thing he says, teaches us who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is. Uh, what it means to walk with him, worship him, to, to li live for uh, our Father in heaven. How to overcome testing and trials and, and temptation. What it means to be the church. One of my favorite quotes from the early American pastor Jonathan Edwards goes like this. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which your soul can be satisfied. Whoa. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which your soul can be satisfied. The Bible teaches us how to enjoy God. How to experience satisfaction. Third, the Bible rebukes us, Paul says in, in, in verse 16. Now, you may own or you've probably been in one of these newer cars that have these sensors where if you're wandering outside the lane you're supposed to be driving in, it electrocutes you. You know what Paul is telling us? Paul is telling us the Bible is God's divine censor. Hey, you're drifting. 
Hey, 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 you're drifting. And, and, and sometimes the Bible whispers to us. Sometimes the Bible shouts at it. And that's why it's so important we sit under the authority of the teaching of God's word. It's why it's so important that we are self-feeders during the week and reading the Bible because the Bible is a censor. God has given us the Bible to rescue us by protecting us, to keep us in our lane, to keep us focused so we can uh, live life to the fullest. Paul continues, it equips us. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. The Bible equips you to use your time, your talent, and your treasure for the kingdom of God. So at the end of your life, you will have no regrets looking back and saying, I spent all of my hours, all of my days on myself. And the Bible equips us on how to love Jesus, how to serve Jesus, how to talk to others about Jesus. Now, football season has started, right? And there isn't a single young man anywhere in the country that's going to run out to the football field without his equipment and Paul says the Bible equips us football equipment uh, 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 equips us so we can play defense so we can play offense uh, the Bible equips us so, so we can uh, live life, play offense and defense spiritually. Uh, Paul says the same thing in another passage uh, at the end of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, where he's talking about spiritual warfare, our battle against the schemes of the devil. And he told, calls us as believers to put on the armor of God. And in his discussion about the armor of God, twice he calls us to take up the word of God. First, uh, the, the belt of truth, and then second, the sword of the Spirit, which he tells us is the word of God. Defense and offense against the devil. Why? Because Paul knows, knows that Satan's goal isn't to possess you as much as it is to deceive you. Hey, you really don't need God. Or man, you've been so busy. It, it, it's not a big deal that you haven't opened your Bible for six months. Or you know, you've really got a lot going on and, and you're overwhelmed. So uh, it's okay, nobody's looking. Uh, this will make you happy. Satan's goal in your life as a believer in Christ isn't to leave fang marks in your flesh. It's to plant lies in your heart. And so both Ephesians 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 tell us it's the word of God that enables us to take on the equipment of God so we can play both defense against the enemy and offense by living a life of boldness and humility and gentleness for the glory of God. And boy, do I wish that for you. Do I want that for each and every one of you? Because there is nothing, nothing, nothing in the church, in our lives, more important than the word of God, activated by the spirit of God that points us to the son of God.
that we might live to the, to the glory of God. And so this morning, I wish for you a, a deep respect for the uh, uh, authority of the Bible uh, that gives you this unbelievable love for the Bible. Now let me go on. Let me talk about the uh, second characteristic. I, I've talked about respect for the Bible, and I want to talk about your hunger for the Bible. And to do that, I want to leave the New Testament and this major passage in the New Testament and go to a major passage in the Old Testament. And that is the very first psalm. So turn all the way back with me to Psalm 1. And we are going to pick it up in verse 1 and we will look at the first four verses. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But instead, blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. That person, that person, that person alone is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so are the wicked. They are like chaff. And the wind, that the wind rather, blows away. I wish for you that at the end of your life that there would be a stone above your grave and on the stone it would say here lies a Psalm 1 verse 2 person. She delighted in the law of the Lord. He meditated on the Lord day and night, on God's word day and night. I wish as you travel through your life, you would be known as a person who, who loves the word of God, who has a palpable, tangible uh, hunger uh, for the Bible. And so you meditate. Now, what is meditation? Meditation is not the Eastern notion of emptying your mind. Meditation here, as, as we see it's right on the surface, is filling your mind with the promises, the, the teaching, uh, the prophecy of, of God's word. If worry is the inability to let go of bad things in your mind, so we worry and worry, we can't, we can't let this bad thing go. You know what meditation is? If worry is the inability to let it go, meditation is the ability to cling and to hold on to God's word. Yeah, we all meditate. I mean, you meditate when you play a video game or when you listen to your boss or, or your coach, when you're learning how to drive, uh, when you're preparing a meal and you've got to follow the recipe uh, uh, closely. Uh, meditation is taking what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're reading, and thinking about it. That's the word. Uh, meditation is thinking. It's chewing on it. 
It's chewing on how the Bible applies to life. And the very first thing Psalm 1 tells us, and Psalm 1 is a gateway to the entirety of all the Psalms, is that if you want to understand the rest of the Psalms, if you want to understand the rest of the Bible, then you will be a person who meditates your way to delight. Uh, Now, uh, friends, what I want you to see is this is what God's word is telling us that God himself wants for us. He wants you to be a person who meditates. It is not, it is not optional. And saying that, he wants you to be a person that thinks about uh, God's word. People who respect the authority of the Bible are, are people who hunger Uh, For the Bible, and the primary way they satisfy uh, their hunger is through meditation. That's why the word occurs over and over, uh, especially in the Old Testament. And when we come to verse 2 in Psalm 1, and we read day and night, it's a Hebrew idiom that simply means regularly. Uh, so we think about the word when we gather together as a church and in our groups and then as we self-feed on our own and by the way I hope you know this is what Abraham made this is what enabled Abraham to get over the hump when God gave him this bizarre horrible command to sacrifice his son Because what does Hebrews 11 tell us about Abraham? Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham reasoned that God was able to raise the dead, meditated. It's what enabled uh, Joseph to say to the very brothers that betrayed him, you meant it for evil. Uh, God intended it for good. Joseph spent his life meditating his way to a firm conviction in the sovereignty of God. And then there's uh, Joshua, the, the very first general of the entire Israeli army, a man under enormous pressure as Israel prepares to take the, the promised land, a man who is time-starved. And what does God command Joshua? Keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it, same idiom, regularly, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, 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 You will be prosperous and successful. You know, meditation is what enabled Ruth to be loyal, Esther to be courageous, David to be a giant slayer, Solomon to be so very wise, and the young virgin by the name of Mary to be so wonderfully submissive to the word of God. Be it done to me as you say. It's thinking about the word of God, driving it deep into your soul. Now, how do we do that? Well, the short answer is we do it by asking questions. That's how we think. Um, uh, We think uh, good thinkers are people that just continually bombard uh, life, uh, uh, text with questions. 500 years ago, the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, said, hey, you know, there's four questions we can ask of any biblical passage that'll help us get down the road towards meditation. And I want you to, these are just very simple and straightforward. And uh, the first question is, um, what is this teaching? 
the order here is um, out, out of order here. What is the passage teaching? Uh, what does it tell me I can adore? What should I uh, confess? And what should I ask for? So you have teaching, you have adoration, you have confession, and then you have what we call supplication or request. It's T-A-C-S. What is it teaching? What can I adore? What do I need to confess? Uh, what do I need uh, to ask for? Take Psalm 1. What is Psalm 1 teaching? Psalm 1 is teaching you that the key to life, your life, is meditating on God's word. Um, uh, what is it that we are to do? God loves me so much that he has given me the Bible. What do I need to confess? Well, my spiritual la laziness. And what should I ask for? That God would make me a tree, not shaft. Now you know, don't you, as I wrap this up, that there is only one person that has ever perfectly lived out the first three verses of Psalm 1, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we read the Gospels, we discover that meditating on the Word of God was uh, how Jesus lived his life. As a matter of fact, meditation was so central to our Lord Jesus that when he was hanging on the cross, he was meditating on the Word. He was meditating on Psalm 22. And the very first verse, my God, my God, why have you uh, forsaken me? Now why? Why was meditation so central to Jesus, so central to Jesus as he's dying on the cross in our place for our sins? Because Jesus knows that he is in the process of becoming chaff so that we might become trees bearing glorious fruit for the kingdom of God. And the key, friends, to developing a a hunger for the word of God is seeing the mercy of the Son of God. So we meditate our way to delight. As we see the humility, the surrender, the submission, the power of Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you this morning, after 27 years of ministry here, I wish for you a love for the Bible. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your love. We are amazed at how specific and how tangible and how wonderful it is. Uh, you have given us your word, which points to your son that is revealed to us by your spirit. And we ask God that you would use uh, the Bible in our life to fill our lives with joy and contentment that we might honor you. And I pray for brothers and sisters here, uh, families that are struggling, and ask God that you would use your word to comfort them as you have used it in my life, in my moments of darkness. Amen. Let's stand and celebrate God's word before we go.
And as we go today, I want to commission you. I mean, it's Labor Day weekend, right? And just as we periodically commission missionaries and workers as they go to serve around the world, today I want to commission you this Labor Day weekend in your labor. Whether it's paid or unpaid, I want to commission you whether your work is at home or in the marketplace. Because God has called you to glorify him through your work. And your work, your specific job matters to God and God matters to your work. And each and every one of us have a divine calling and in your work you will touch the lives of people nobody else will ever touch. You will have opportunities in your attitudes and the things you do and, and the excellence with which you work to glorify our Savior. And our work is a big deal. It's where many of us spend the bulk of our waking hours. And today it is my privilege to commission you in your labor for the glory of God. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, all of them workers. You, God, are a working God. And I ask that you would give them a growing sense of their divine calling, uh, whether they are uh, working and serving in retirement or just starting out a career, whether it's at home, whether it's in a difficult situation in the factory. 
I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters wisdom. You would give them strength. You would give them a sense of confidence that you have given them specific gifts. You have called them to such a time as this. And that you are working all things together through their work for your glory. So God, bless them. Use them to lift up Jesus Christ that others might know Christ, come to Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Have a great Labor Day weekend.